Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Mike Wise Show has been renamed because Twitter banned our previous name, The Wise Ass Show. It was deemed too profane for Twitter. For real. Think about that. Banned by Twitter. Who knew Mike was such a threat to society? As you know, Darlene, I'm as tame as they come. This week on the Mike Wise Show, we've got Tim Legler, the former player, broadcaster now, and my bet is a Division I coach to come. Next on the Wise Ass Show. Oops, I mean the Mike Wise Show. The Mike Wise Show is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Wise Show is hosted by a guy who played basketball atrociously for Hawaii Pacific College, which forced him into journalism. And, oh yeah, he wrote about basketball for the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. He's also a wise-ass, and so are many of his guests. Right, Mike? No question about it, Darlene. Did I sound like Howard? No. Our our listeners are too young anyway. They wouldn't even know who I am. The Mike Wise Show is one of three weekly shows from Pure Hoops Media. My show drops every Monday and features incredible guests like the Jamal Crawford, Jeannie Buss, PJ Carlissimo, Garrett Temple, and yes, today, Tim Legler. Our midweek show, Catch and Shoot, with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov comes your way each Wednesday. Their recent guests have included George Carl, Steve Javi, and ESPN Telestration producer Bob Salmi who is also an assistant coach under Pat Riley and a broadcaster for the 76ers. I know, Bob. And each Friday, we present the Pure Hoops podcast with three-time champ and player agent B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. B.J.'s takes usually go against conventional wisdom, but if you go back and listen to them, he's mostly right. Please listen to all the Pure Hoops media shows. Subscribe, rate, review, download, subscribe again, and enjoy. You're such a wise ass. Welcome to the Mike Wise Show. Uh, Obviously, you know it's been retitled from uh, the Wise Ass Show because Twitter will not accept advertising from any any show called Ass. I have no idea why, Legs. Tim Legler, my guest. Welcome, Legs. What's happening, Mike? How are you, man? It's good to talk to you. It's, uh, It's been a minute. Yeah, I know. I know. And I'm, I'm, uh, the last time I remember seeing you in the green room at ESPN, um, we were ranting about something or another. I think it had something to do with LeBron. Um, I, I, you Probably know, it, could be. It's, <laughs> it's like one of those things where I think, um, uh, you know, this was one week where you couldn't get enough of, and I hate Mighty Mouse, what I call Mighty Mouse Superman arguments in sports because they never get solved. But this yeah. one was appropriate only because, you know, LeBron did eclipse Michael Jordan's point total. And um, if you were, a you know, one of these uh, – statistical analysis guys you would look at the numbers and you would say wait a minute he's got field goal percentage over jordan he's got points rebounds assists he's got longevity all these things 
and yet there is still not a clear consensus. In fact, if you were to poll America today, I think Michael Jordan would still win if we were talking about the greatest player of all time. I know I kind of know where you fall on it, but I really like to hear your uh, your thoughts after LeBron's recent performance. Yeah, well, Mike, I think you know what LeBron has done over the last few years is basically eliminated everybody else from the at least having a seat at that table with Michael Jordan. I think it's a two-man debate now. I think you know he, LeBron had to you know, had to do some things in those last few years in Cleveland. To, to get into that point where now I just think there's no one else really that deserves to be in that discussion. It's two guys. Um, I'm biased uh, toward Michael Jordan. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I played my entire career during the Michael Jordan era. Um, yeah, I was in a league from 90 to 2000 and that guy won six championships um, and didn't lose any and, and took a couple years to play baseball or he would have probably won eight in a row. Um, I had to guard him. I had to see him up close and personal. I know what that felt like, what that looked like that intensity and killer instinct there was something special about him um with his just i think more than anything else it just came down to uh his his i think his mental focus and his mental strength i think separated mm. him from every player that's ever lived so lebron you know it's not it's, it's no shame in saying you're the second best player of all time but i think with what he has done you know you'd be a fool to not put Mike uh, LeBron James now in, in that in that second spot, he's riding sidecar now to Michael Jordan, and I don't think there's anybody else really that's quite on that level to join that table and pull a chair up to that. I think it's two guys, and it, depending on on what your perspective is, and 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 you know you're gonna it's gonna obviously be a very subjective opinion, but for me it's it's gonna be Michael Jordan. I I, I have a hard time uh, because I covered Jordan's best years and I covered LeBron's best years and, and I'm still covering LeBron's best years. I, I have a hard time putting LeBron there. I all, but I, but there's a part of me that if he, if he somehow finds the right uh, team in Los Angeles and the Lakers yeah. win in the next three years, I'm going, geez, a championship uh, with three different franchises. And you're the, you're the main guy on each of those championship teams. I, I, I'd have a hard time. And plus the years and everything else, I just have a hard time even and, and it's weird because like you said, what do you really put into the argument is more what what is the greatest player of all time to you? If there if the if the title was greatest competitor, um put a stake in your heart, I would have to say Michael. Yeah. Um if if the if the greatest, you know, the greatest winner of all time, six and oh in the tie yes, Michael. I would still like Michael at the end of the game with the ball in his hand. But man, I look at LeBron, he just He's just he's so easy to play with, even though if you throw away the drama off the court, he's so man, he just gets the ball to you. He's a better passer. Uh, I love that he sees the whole floor and um, and he's in a weird way. I, and these are off the court things, of course, but I look like Jordan never had to deal with social media like LeBron. Yeah. Uh, and all these other things. And I go, you know, and, and maybe because, you know, maybe this is a part of me, you know, I, I got to stop being a leftist social engineer so much, but, <laughs> but I mean, I, it was pretty, I, when, when LeBron and the heat put on the hoods after the Tra Trayvon Martin thing, I thought that was a kind of a big moment in whatever, whatever you call this, so, you know, renaissance of social conscience among athletes. I thought that was a main big moment. And, you know, and Michael, you know, God bless him. He lived in an era where it was basketball. And that was the most important thing to him. And he didn't want to get involved off the court. 
No, I, I hear you. I said, at the times have changed in that regard, and I think it's more and more athletes are being encouraged to take positions and stances on things, and social media certainly helps them do that because guys can now have a social platform without really having to get in front of a microphone. They can do it right from their sofa at home. And, you know, so, so their ability to do it, I think, creates more of a need and necessity and, and a platform to do it, and guys take advantage of it. And LeBron has been great in that regard. So there's a lot of differences between the eras. I think that's one of them off the court, one of them on the court, which is another reason I, I, I kind of edge toward Michael, is mm. you can't deny that the game is completely different in terms of the physicality of what you're facing on the court. And the reason I bring that up, so he just passed Michael Jordan, which is an incredible accomplishment because I never looked at LeBron as a scorer first. I always thought of him as a guy that viewed the game more like a point guard than he did as a voracious scorer. You know, that's what Michael Jordan was. He, I mean, he was just a guy that wanted to attack at all times. He's the only guy I ever guarded in my career that every single time he caught the ball, he wanted to score. I mean, I, and I played against some great players – you know, but there were times when Reggie Miller was going to throw the ball into Rick Smith's and go spot up for a couple of minutes. You know, Clyde Drexler the same. He throw it into Olajuwon and he'd go <laughs> spot up. Right? Michael Jordan wasn't doing that. You were you were guarding him, fighting for your life every second on that end of the floor. So I never viewed LeBron that way, and the fact that he passed him anyway is incredible. But I think there's some things that we need to remember. You know, I just know the era that I played in, which is what I mentioned earlier. Like the physicality defensively and the lack of freedom of movement was a completely different game than what you're watching now. And so I look at a guy like Michael Jordan, not to say that LeBron wouldn't have had obviously great success in any era. He would have, but you can't deny that the, the, the floor is more space. There's more driving lanes. There's, more, there's less contact on the perimeter, and he's already the biggest, strongest guy you know, in the league. And on top of it now, it's, it's almost impossible to put enough contact in front of him to even slow him down or deter him. When I look at what Michael Jordan played through and the amount of contact and the number of times he was on his back in the first 10 years of his career – to still put up the numbers he did. And also, you know, he missed three years um, that LeBron got basically coming into the league at 18. You know, if Michael comes into the league at 18, you know, you know, tackle on another, I don't know, you know, pick the number. You could tackle on another probably five to 6,000 points on top of what he did. So th- there are a lot of things that make the eras different, even though it's not that long ago and that far removed from it. It is a vastly different game that I am watching now than the one that I played, just in terms of freedom of movement of players. And believe me, I say it with a tinge of jealousy. I would love to be out there playing with this kind of freedom of movement and not having guys pulling on your jersey, grabbing your hip as you're trying to come off a screen, getting drilled in the chest by a big guy when you're making a cut through the lane. Like All those things that, that made the game so much more physical that Jordan had to play through, I do think it's a benefit. To, to guys today that are scores, and certainly a guy that's as physically dominant as LeBron, uh, who's already going to be difficult enough to, to stop, even if you were allowed to play 90s rules. So I think that's another reason I, I look at Michael and think, man, this guy was able to pull this off and put up these kinds of numbers scoring-wise in, in an era when you could literally lay guys out and all he was going to get was two mm-hmm. free throws, no suspension, no flagrant, no ejection, <laughs> no fine, no nothing. You got up, you checked your fillings in the back of your mouth, <laughs> and, and you put cotton in your nose to stop the bleeding, and you shot your two free throws. I mean, that's that's kind of the way the league was. So um, I think that is something that you need to yeah. take into consideration. 
All right. We were talking with Tim Legler, LeBron James hater, curmudgeon from the old days. Uh, <laughs> in, in my day, loser. No, I, you know, I look, I, I get it. I saw, look, having covered the Knicks back in the day, I mean, just, just watching Derek Harper or Greg Anthony put that forearm in the small of the Jordan's back. I mean, that doesn't, have, that's a foul in, yeah, in right. today's NBA. Right. So, so I, I completely, you know, I, I don't look at that enough sometimes and I forget how physical it was. And it's because I love the watching the Warriors and the way they move the ball and some of these some of these teams. I, you know, I look at your own career. You played like eleven years as a professional. I, you, who knows? You know, you um, you you your 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 career may have been extended uh, just by the rules because of the job you played. Shooters shooters hold on to positions forever if they can remain healthy. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. I mean, I blew my ACL out at the end of the 95-96 season, which was the best season of my career. I, I led the league in three-point shooting that year, and I, I, that's the same year I won the, the three-point shootout at the All-Star game. So it was literally best year of my career. I was 29 years old, and I tore three ligaments into my knee in the 81st game of the year um, at the end of the season. So I came back in about nine months, but – you know, heavy brace on my leg. The procedure wasn't nearly as streamlined as it is today. It was much more invasive. And so when you're coming back and your knee feels that way, your leg feels that way, and you're dealing with the physicality of the game, it, I, there's no question. I think, you know, if, if I had come back, and I, I stopped playing three years later, and I never really was the same, where I feel like at 32 years old. So I feel like if I had done that in today's era, because there's so much less contact on the court, I do feel, and, and, and the game is just so much more spread out. The three-point shot is, is just so much more readily accepted, even than when I played. Um, I do think that there, it, there, there's a possibility I would have kept with it until I got back to 100%, because it was harder to physically recover because of the physicality when you're dealing with that type of injury. I think it's a, it would be a little bit easier today. Tim Legler, the ESPN analyst, uh, he's worked on every program you can imagine, shooter, NBA shoot-around, NBA fast break. He's done first take, coast-to-coast, uh, coast, sports center radio, and, of course, NBA Sirius XM radio. You're on three days a week now um, regularly. Uh, you, you can't knock that at all. No, it's been a blessing because – the great thing about that is that I get to do that typically from home for the most part. And so, you know, to be able to, to go on in radio format is such a great format because you can, you can dive in any topic and really get to, you know, into the meat of it. And if it's, it's a hot topic that people want to talk about, I mean, you could, you could do a whole hour of a, you know, one of your, of one of your, one of your shows, one of the three hours on one topic, um, because that's what people are res responding to. And you get, you know, you might get, you know, several minutes to talk and really flush it out whereas you know how it is in tv it's more you know that you, you know you start to talk and you're hearing a rap you know in your ear because it's like everything is so time constrained and they got to get on to the next thing on the rundown radio is such a great format because you can just dive into a topic and stay with it as long as people seem interested in it um and be able to do it from home yeah it's, it's been an absolute blessing i absolutely Absolutely love the people I'm working with there, and it's given me an opportunity to have another format to, you know, to get my voice out there and give my takes on what's going on around the league. So it's been great. Legs joining us, Tim Legler. A lot of people don't know about you is um, I. And I want to say you were a finalist or or at least a front runner for the LaSalle job that was filled last year. Your your alma mater, obviously in college, that was vacant job. To me, it was just a. Uh, it was it, people were like, wait, wait, legs is a front runner. Like, 
I, I've known for a few years now that at some point, coaching is important to you. That you Not only did you spend some time with uh, the Amateur Athletic Union, the AAU kids, and and you and I guess the last two years you haven't been doing that, but but this is something inside you that you really want to, it's almost like uh, what I say when people tell me, you know, do you want to write a book? And I go, well, it depends. Like you write a book for two reasons. You write a book for money or you write a book that's inside you and you want to get out of you. I'm at the right. point in my career where I need to write a book that's inside me and I want to get out of me. And I feel like coaching is something you want to get out of you. No, there's no question. It's a, it's something that I think is is a true calling in my life. I really believe that um, it's something I'm supposed to be doing, and I did it for for you know several years, number of years really. Uh, what ten, seven, eight years in the AAU level. Started with my son's team. Wanted to give him a better team to play on than his local travel team. I wanted. I felt like I owed it to him because he loved the game to give back my expertise to him and. And I knew the impact I could have in these kids' lives. And I took a group of kids that started off with local kids and turned it into something really special. You know, by, by year two, year three, I'm getting families of kids approach me because they loved the way we played. We played together. We had fun. I was very positive with the way I approached it, but very, very intense. Um, and so I would, next thing you know, I'm adding players that are big-time players uh, that were close enough to be able to get to my practices and I end up with some kids now. I got three kids playing um, high major Division One basketball, and I've got a number of kids playing D two and D three from that group of kids. And it's just been sensational to know the impact that I had in helping them achieve their goals the way that people did for me. Um, the only reason I really am not a D one coach, I think, at this point, was because when I retired from the NBA, um, at that time I was going through a divorce, and I had a five and a two year old. And full disclosure. I, there was no way I could go and dive into coaching knowing it could take me anywhere. Because if you really mm -hmm. want to chase it, you've got to be willing to go. With a five- and a two-year-old based in the you know, Philadelphia, South Jersey area, I couldn't go take a coaching job in the Midwest or West Coast. There's no way I was going to leave my kids. So I made a commitment at that time. I was going to be the best dad I could be, be in their life as much as possible, and that meant putting the coaching on hold. So I fulfilled that need through AAU and, and helping kids, and I was able to get my competitive fix, and I was able to hook up with the Under Armour guys, and I joined the Under Armour circuit, which is one of the best AAU circuits in the country. It's right there with Nike and Adidas. It's one of the top uh, grassroots yeah. programs in the country. And so we got to play a national schedule. We got to play. I got incredible exposure for um, for my players. I was able to coach you know the top kids in the country at the Curry Camp, at the Under Armour All-American Camp. So I was I really realized in doing that and being around those kids that even more than ever, I'm like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. So now it comes down to, you know, my kids are older. My daughter graduated college last May. My son is playing now. He's a sophomore, just finished his sophomore season in college. So, but they're supportive now and I could go. So now For it's sure. a matter of hopefully somebody giving me a shot to go do this. Um, I did. I was, you know, one of the last two guys for the LaSalle job. I was one of the finalists for the Duquesne job the year before that. And I think it's ultimately going to come down to someone that's willing to take a risk of sort of that outside-the-box candidate that doesn't have this long coaching tree in college basketball. It's a very difficult thing to break into, but I've met with search firms. I've got an agent. I'm doing everything I can do um, to hopefully have someone at some point say, you know what, this guy's, this guy's got a mind for it. He's, he's got the leadership skills we need. I think I'd be a phenomenal recruiter because of my ties to the AAU world from all those years I put into it. Um, and, and the fact that I'm relevant. These kids know who I am because they watch NBA basketball and they all think they're going to the league. Yeah. 
So I, I think, think that I, yeah. helps as well. So, I, yeah, I'm, I'm just waiting, Mike, to see it each year. Obviously, this is the time of year. A lot of things are going to shake out in the next couple of weeks um, with college jobs opening up. So, you know, I'm, I got the right people on it and trying to get in the right person's ear and push for me, and then I got to go close the deal. So yeah. come very close a couple of times, and now we'll see what happens this time around. So I thought, uh, one, I salute you for staying home with your kids. I know when you and Jennifer got a divorce, you, you, you chose to stay close to the kids, basically, and you, you worked that out amongst yourselves. How old are you? And you're, you said you got a sophomore in college. The guy, he plays? Yeah, my son plays Division three program, a really good Division three program at Rowan University. Um, what, what's his name? His name's Ryan, Ryan Legler. Ryan, so, so here's, the, here's the most important part of this podcast for me because it's selfish and everything. I have a, I, I'm an old dad. I got married much later in life. I have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old daughter. The, the two eight- and four-year-old boys, I got to say that they, I'm not telling him he's good, but he's already been contacted by one of these websites that want to put him on one of the best, you know, the best second graders in the country. And <laughs> right, I'm, like, right. I, I'm like, I won't even let him know about it, and I refuse to even talk to the guy yeah. because I feel like it's just setting him up for disaster if, he doesn't develop or he burns out or like, you know, I, you know, I don't want him to be 12. And they say, Hey, you were the best eight year old in the country. What happened? You suck. Now. Like, I right. just don't, I just think it sets him up for disaster. I, I, what I'm asked, what I'm looking for now is advice because I never saw myself as even approaching the psycho sports parent line. In fact, I used to make fun of them and I found myself and I, I hate to admit this, but I found myself about a week and a half ago after a, 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 a game, just, kind of reaming him out in the car and saying, why don't you fight more? Why don't you? And it just made me sick. And I, I apologized to him, said I'd never do it to him again. But I like, I just want some advice on it. it like this guy, I, the kid can play a little bit, but I just, I, I want him to like, like the next practice he goes to. I don't care what, I just want him yeah. to like sports and not hate me. Those would be my two big goals. No, that's, a, that's great. That's great advice. And I think it is a tough line to walk. And I went through different ups and downs with my, both my kids. My, I actually coached my daughter for two years at the end of her AAU career mm. as well, because the coach sort of stopped uh, coaching that team and they were coming into their most important year, U16, and they didn't have a coach literally. So I coached both teams for two wow. years, and that was a, that was something because there were there were weekends, Mike. I coached eight games in the same weekend, um, or I'd have back to back practices because it was like the only night I had free with ESPN. So I would literally be in the gym for four straight hours coaching the girls' team, then the guys' team. So I did that for two years, and a lot of those girls ended up playing college basketball, including my daughter, who was a thousand point scorer at Newman University, which is a D3 school here in the uh, right outside Philly. So she, she finished in May. But I had ups and downs with my son, especially over the years. And, and it wasn't so much that I felt like I was on him or nitpicking him or going over everything, but it was like he would ask me or he would, he would say something to me that I knew wasn't right. And then you just – I can't like, – I couldn't just like act like I didn't know better. So yeah. I'm trying to like help him. But you would find that it would turn into these conversations where you did feel like it, it was becoming too important and too serious. And so I would always try to downplay it. Like it's not that big a deal, man. This stuff is not life and death. And at the end of the day, I would always tell them, at the end of the day, 
it, it's going to come down to the burning desire that you have in your own chest. And if you don't have it, it doesn't matter where you play, what team you play on, who you play for, or anything else, or what opportunities you create for your son, coaches try to create. It, it won't matter if they don't have a burning desire and passion for the game that makes it so that they never feel like they're working at it. It's got to feel like this is something that's exactly what I want to be doing today, and you've got to have the self-driving initiative to go do it on your own. Um, so I think, I think the, the best thing you can do, and I've told my son this a million times, I've empathized with him in this way, Mike. My parents didn't know anything about basketball because I was the youngest of five my my brother was a phenomenal athlete, but he wasn't a basketball player. My dad was a baseball coach for 30 years. He coached me in baseball. Baseball was probably my best sport up until I was about 15 years old. Um, I didn't have to worry about getting in the car after a game and having detailed conversations <laughs> with my father because he really didn't know what he just watched. So, to, you know, for my son, I did feel bad for him sometimes because he knew – me sitting in that gym, no one knew as much as I did of what was going on on that court. And I think that does make it hard on your kids at times. You know, you, you, you try to turn it off, but it's, it's impossible if you love and know the game as much as you do. But at the end of the day, man, they, they need to have fun, enjoy it, and they've got to have that ticker inside uh, that, that makes them have the self-driving initiative to outwork people. And, and, and go get it for themselves. I think a lot of kids nowadays, uh, they try to have things catered to them. And, and, and AAU is sort of a necessary evil. you got to get into it to be in the pipeline. If you get good enough, you just do for the exposure. And if he's on a team with a good coach that cares, that's teaching him something with good kids that aren't selfish, it could be a phenomenal experience. But there's a lot of a lot of AAU out there where it's, 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 a, tough, it's a tough road to hoe for some kids and if you get in the wrong situation. Yeah, thank you. Uh, the, Tim Legler, the fa the father of Ryan Legler, uh, the Rowan guard. He, I, I just looked at him on the internet here. He's got your same cleft chin, man. You, you should have had him go into <laughs> he, he acting. Does, uh, yeah, it's funny. He he. Do, it's actually he, you know probably a couple years ago. If you'd seen a picture of me when I, at seventeen and him at seventeen, it's pretty. Pretty remarkable resemblance. So they do call him Mini Me or Little Legs. Uh, you know, a lot of people just call him Legs in his own right now. So he's got a heck of a stroke, but he doesn't—he doesn't think the game the way I do. He thinks more like a point guard. He definitely gets more uh, satisfaction out of making a play for a kid and coming off pick and roll and finding somebody rolling to the rim or kicking out for a three, even though I think he probably has the best shooting stroke on on his team now. He doesn't have that killer instinct as a scorer that I did. I was always more yeah. of a scorer. He's more of a point guard playmaker, but he played on a very senior dominated team this year. Um, and he's still got, I guess, probably 12, 13 minutes a game off the bench. And they, they went to the NCAA tournament for the first time in, in, I guess, almost 20 years. And now all those kids are graduating. So hopefully Ryan's got a couple of really good years ahead of him and, and uh, the program is doing really well. Tim Legler's my guest, the NBA Sirius XM radio host, also ESPN analyst and future Division I college coach. I'm predicting that already. Let's hope. Let's um, hope. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to happen. I, it, you know, look, if Steve Kirk can coach the defending, uh, the three-time defending world champions or two-time defending world champions, I, I got to think, you know, you were as good or better a three-point shooter than him, and you get the game. And by the you know, like, I, look, I just think that uh, – I, there's there's got to be a job or a niche out there for you at some point. I hope so. Hey, you know, I, I, somebody gave me a stat recently, and they were given a list of guys that were 
college basketball players that were also academic All-Americans that went into coaching, and it's not a long list. But a couple of guys on it are Billy Donovan and Fred Hoiberg. So someone pointed that out to me, and, that, and I was in that category. So I'm saying, hey, if, if those two guys, it's it's clearly that you, you know you got to have a certain mind for it and intensity. Um, I would love to get the opportunity, man. I know that I just really think I have so much to give to the kids and and to show them the way, you know. And and um, it just comes down to an athletic director and a search firm feeling like, you know, I'm not really a big risk, that I'm a guy that I've I've kind of figured it out every step of my life, and I've had a lot of setbacks, man, but I've I've succeeded at each thing I've tried. I've gotten to the highest level because I just refuse to be denied, and there's something about that that I hope that an athletic director can see in me and say, hey, yeah, you might not have college coaching experience, but my God, 30, you know, I'm, I'm going on 28 years now between playing and covering the league, 28 years uh, is, a, is, a, is a lot of experience, you know. So when I hear no experience or lack of experience, it really kind of makes me chuckle because I'm like, my life has been the game at the highest well, level for almost 30 years. I think that gives you a certain amount of experience. doesn't mean everybody can do it, but I think you need to sit down with me and really listen to what I see when I watch basketball and how my teams would play. And if, it, if someone could just get me to that point, I think I'll be okay. I, the cool thing about you, and uh, which – I've always, you know, even before I knew you, I I sort of uh, not live vicariously through you because I was never that good, but, you know, got to NAI junior college level and would would have given my, you know, left arm to, you know, whatever, play pro in Australia or play at a division one school at some point. And, and, and you're the same way with a lot more talent. You, you know, you start out with the Philadelphia Aces, yeah. the Youngstown Pride, and then you finally get on a new NBA roster. Then you go back to the Omaha Racers. And, the, and then you finally stick at the, and you go overseas and you finally you finally get this gig. Um, I want to say it was about like 95 with the Warriors, right? Now, my first honestly, my first really, truly big break came in the 92-93 season with Dallas. Oh, that's um, right, with the Mavs. That's so right. So I had, I had had, at that point, I had had six 10-day contracts, with uh, two each, with Denver, Phoenix, Utah. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, you know, couldn't stick, didn't get, like, great opportunity. And, and you know, it's playing on a 10-day contract. I could write a book on that topic alone as a shooter, how difficult that is. Like, going in, you don't know anybody. You don't know the team. You don't, nobody's got familiarity with you. You go out there, you get a few minutes, and it's like, by God, you better not miss. Okay, great. Let's see if this works out. So I did that. I bounced back and forth. CBA, I, I was putting up big numbers down there, and, and I got picked up a number of times. Then I went overseas for half a season, came back, and then, honestly, <laughs> the big break came in Dallas. I I had a 47-point game in a CBA, which is basically the G League for people that aren't familiar with it at, at the time. It was the last game I ever played in the CBA. And and I was at the end of my rope. I was considering if it didn't work out that year, I probably was going to give it up. And they, I got picked up by Dallas. And here's where I got the big, big break, Mike. So the head coach, Richie Adubato, had been fired earlier in the year. Gar Hurd had taken over as, as an interim for the rest of the year. Brad Davis was his assistant. I'll never forget this. I flew. I met up with them on the road, mm. and they told me to come up to the hotel room. And I came up to the hotel room, and they sat me down, and they basically, before I even took the court for the first time, said, listen, they, I mean, we were, they were really bad, losing a lot of games. Yeah. And they said, listen, we, we got to find out 
with you if you if you could sink or swim in this league and you haven't gotten the opportunity to do that to this point to where you can play through mistakes, play through missed shots, get your confidence because you're obviously talented enough and you know you've done enough at the CBA level. So you're going to be here the rest of the year and we're going to play you every night no matter what. So can you imagine what that did for me? You know, at that point, I could go out and I could relax, man, and I could just be myself. And I had a really good, I think it was about 33 games, something like that, at the end of that season where I I played really well. I was like the sixth man for that team. I came in, the crowd responded to me really well in Dallas, um, and I and I shot the ball really well. I did my thing, and then I stayed there the next year, and I was, I was like pretty much good to go from that point, but I needed somebody to let me play through my mistakes. They did it. And then my career took off when I then went to Washington and, and, and came in oh, and I Jimmy Lyon was the head coach. Yeah. And he, he also, same thing. I wrote through right halfway through training camp. They signed me as a free agent. I had a one year deal. Second year was going to fully guarantee if I met certain statistical goals. So yeah. I was like, all right. So I signed the deal. Um, and about halfway through training camp, Jimmy Lyon takes me aside one day and he goes, you know, you're you're just a much better all-around player than anybody's giving you credit for to this point. Like you're the kind of per- player I want on the court to help us win games at the end of games. And again, it took, a, it took a, a by the way, it took a Philly guy to do that. Yeah, Philly and John Nash, another Philly guy, was the yeah. GM, right? So so that definitely helped, man. You know, we had uh, that connection. A... We knew a lot of the same people. It was like the weight of the world lifted off my. Now at that point, yeah. I'd, like I said, I'd played well in Dallas. I'd played well in Golden State, but that year. I played about half the game off the bench. I mean, it was a lot of yeah. games. I played the whole fourth quarter. And it just – what it did for my confidence, and obviously that was the best year of my yeah. career. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a, lot of, a, lot of, um, a lot of nights questioning and wondering, what, was this going to happen for me? But at the end of the day, Mike, I just believed in myself – and I believed in uh, just not being denied. And it, yeah. you know, like there were times I questioned it, but I fought and I stayed with it. And, and you know, once I, once I broke through, I look at very proud of what I did the rest of my career. Now it's turned into 18 years at ESPN. Yeah. I, and do you have like a couple more minutes where I can? Of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah, no problem. So, um, so we're talking with Tim Legler um, from ESPN, NBA, Sirius XM, and people forget the Warriors for a while, the Wizards for the biggest part of his career, and the Mavericks. I love that. I'm all about forking the road stories in life and the fact that that Garher, Brad Davis, and those people were there for you at that time and said, look, you need – like that what – what a moment. And you you basically – it doesn't happen to be that you're just a substitutional, a situational player. All of a sudden they're letting you – they're letting you play, and that's big. I look at all these guys now, and it's easy because of, I guess, the road you traveled – um, to have a little bit of animosity toward the ease in which some of these guys have. But, the, you know, this is the world now that these players have so much power. This whole idea of a LeBron James, um, a, you know, his agent, Rich Paul, sort of dictating these terms of I want to play with my friends and I yeah. want to play with it. Like a lot of people, like, like for instance, Isaiah Thomas has a great point. And he goes, you know, it's, it's unbelievable because it shows you these guys want to win and it's not about all the money. It's about playing, you know, and winning championships. But the flip side of it is, is I, I remember, you know, even now I'll go out and play a pickup game. There's no, nothing more, more um, depressing than seeing, you know, the best guys on the floor and they all like team up together to yeah. just basically roll over everybody. It's like, if I'm on that team, I want to go play for the other team to beat them because it's just, <laughs> uh, it's just, it's infuriating because, but I guess that's, you know, like a, 
I I think that whole I don't know about you, but I think that whole LeBron thing um, with with the Anthony Davis and the the announcement that he's not going to come out, and he's obviously with uh, Rich Paul and Clutch. Um, I almost feel like that screwed up three teams in some ways. Well, and, and the thing is, Mike, here's where it's really changed, and, and I can speak to this directly because I coached it, and I was in that world in the AAU circuit. I see what goes on. This mentality that you're seeing now where guys are already, you know, they're constantly looking at the next stop, the next place, who's where, who can I play with, that starts at a much younger age now because – these guys are running the show at 13, 14, 15 years old, right? They, they are so entitled on these teams that, and then they, they jump around, you know, three different AAU teams in the same season. They, they don't like what they hear at the Division I college. There's a, there's a transfer epidemic in college basketball, literally like mm-hmm. 900 transfers last year. And the reason is because the mentality is now – you know, you don't like what you hear from the coach. You know, you're playing with a guy you don't like. I'm out. And it's the same thing in AAU. You can just bounce around team to team, no repercussions. I know guys that have played in five, six different high schools in four years. So the mentality of constantly looking for the next thing, that now is started at a much younger age. So by the time these guys get to the league, you know, when you're drafted by a team, like prior to this generation, when you were drafted by a team, you weren't thinking about where am I going to be in my fourth year. You were thinking about, I got drafted by, let's just say, Washington. And you go, okay, I'm a Washington Wizard. I'm a Washington Bullet, whatever it may be. And you didn't think beyond doing everything you had to do with that franchise and, and getting to, as, you know, to become as good a player as you could, win as many games as you could. But it was all about that franchise. And, look, guys certainly did still leave, and you had free agents, you had trades, things like that. But it, it's like now guys come into the league, they're already eyeing up their next stop. And, and especially now, when, they, when some of these rookies and these high lottery picks come into the league and they're looking around at what the star players are doing and the way that these guys want to pair up and create situations that they can now co- go create super teams, well, that's exactly what these young players are, are having conversations about. So when they get to that fourth year, it's, it's one thing to draft these guys. These franchises have a hard time resigning some of these players um, because the mentality is totally different. And, and look, it's, it's paid off. For some of these guys that are able to go win championships, but it's it's now created a situation where you have the haves and the have-nots, and there are some teams now that are in this league that are it's going to be virtually impossible for them to ever really get into this competition and really contend because they're just not in the market for those guys to end up in that city. And and, and if they have a great player there, you're you know you're sweating bullets every night hoping you're going to be able to keep them there. So it's, it's, a, it's just a different world we live in, and it obviously has made the league pretty top-heavy. Um, but I do think this year we're probably going to have a more competitive playoff than we've had in the last four. I, I do believe that. I think, I think there's more parity in both conferences. And for Golden State, their number one competitor might come out of the Eastern Conference. I think there's enough good teams in the East that can really challenge the Warriors, and we haven't had that in a while. Tim Legler's given me more time than uh, he even said he would in the beginning, and he's been great. I, I'll finish this with a quick lightning round. Just tell me, uh, Tim, sure. Legs, if you could tell me, uh, answer one or two sentences or, or words in these questions that I sure. ask. No problem. I have no idea if they're any good or not. You can be the <laughs> judge of it. Right. Um, uh, where does Kyrie Irving end up next year? Ooh, 
That that is a really tough question, man. I I, I mean I, I'm I'm not a person, and Bruce Bernstein, you know my yeah. my former boss, understands. I don't sit on a fence on anything. That's really tough, man, because <laughs> I it's like so easy to just say New York, like that's such an easy thing to say. But I say to myself, why would he want to do that? Same like, thing. I'm saying the same thing. You know that doesn't. It's just you know you said you said you wanted to get out of the shadow of LeBron, right? Like you did enough there as, as, as a second fiddle, went to Boston to have your own team to prove that you were good enough to take a team to special place. And that team is positioned. I know they've had some ups and downs this year. They're positioned to be right at the top of the East for the next, who knows how long, as long as they want to be with the job that Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens have done. Right. So, and you're the guy. So why would you now want to leave that to go to New York and pair up with Kevin Durant and be right back in the shadow of another guy I, at a team that's coming from the bottom of the East? So I, if for me, I'm going to say Boston. Yep. Yep. I think that's very fair. Um, the last, uh, let's see, I'm going to go with the Golden State Warriors win how many more titles in a row? Mm. Can I say it depends on what Kevin Durant does? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> if Kevin Durant because... leaves the Golden State Warriors this offseason – do the Warriors win the win the NBA title next year? I don't think so. I neither do I. I think their their holes. They've got some. Well, at, of course, what's his name? Bob Myers is going to fix things, but Andre Iguodala is getting up there. Uh, Sean Livingston isn't what he used to be. Um, all these guys, like the, their best role players, are aging, and you know, and they they've aged gracefully, but it's at some point it's going to be time. Well, yeah. And I think the other thing is, you know, I give them a tremendous amount of credit even this year to go through this and maintain this level of focus and intensity and desire and drive and hunger for a fifth straight time is, is so difficult to maintain. And so to think, you know, beyond this year, if you have some, some, some people leave like Kevin Durant, who knows, I I think clay, you know, is going to stay there. I think he realizes that's a perfect fit for him. Um, But you never know, you know, you don't know, DeMarcus Cousins is going to be gone, so you don't know what it's going to look like. And, and on top of it, losing a little bit of your hunger if they win their fourth title in five years. I just think other teams have closed the gap, and I think they're, they're, they're clearly going to be taking a step back with all the things that you and I just said, age, attrition, possibly injuries, guys leaving, and then also teams improving and catching them and, and, and closing that gap. I think it's going to be very difficult if Kevin Durant leaves to win another one after this year. Um, last two. Tim Legler is obsessed with Halloween. Why? <laughs> I think my, my honest truth is because <laughs> I, had a, I had a brother that was 10 years older than me <laughs> growing up that terrified me on a daily basis. We shared a room for a number of years, and he, he, he used to freak me out so bad. I think it just was ingrained in my mind that I liked scary stuff growing up. I was so used to it. So I think that's where it came from, man. I've always liked horror movies. I've always liked Halloween. And fortunately, you know, my, my wife, Christina, uh, is probably more obsessed even than I am. So I met the one person oh, in the world that's more obsessed than me. So now we've taken it to a completely another level. Yeah, forget it. I was going to talk to you about doing a movie, you know, called 10 Day Contract. I think we should do you and Christina should get together. And by the way, that's my wife's name. So so she's got to be awesome. Well, all you um, need to know about my wife is this year, um, Dan Lebetard has taken a liking to the fact that I love Halloween so much. So every year we do a Halloween 
basically a Halloween show. I've done a half-hour segment with yeah. them before, right? So this year, they actually came out to my house. They had a film crew in my front yard, and I was dressed up like Twisty the Clown from American Horror Story. And and we had a great time in my front yard because we that was it was up. terrifying. I saw yeah, that. My wife, my wife, what was it like? Riding down the driveway on a tricycle with a jigsaw mask on. So that's all you need to know about where our minds are. Uh, that's that's great. American Horror Story, the Leglers. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, last one. Um, I've been researching while we've been talking. Uh, I compared you and LeBron James's career. You actually, um, you actually are ahead of him in two categories. What two? What two are they? Um, I would say probably three-point percentage and free throw percentage, but probably also assist to turnover. Boom shakalaka! That was awesome. In fact, it is you were obsessed and you what and you looked up that stat yourself, didn't you? I really didn't, and I didn't know. I I did as well as I. I was. It was funny you say that because recently, my son and I were just looking at some old stats. And that one year in ninety five, ninety six, I was I led the league in three point shooting. I was top. I think I was like top seven in free throw percentage. And I, but then I was also one of the top guys in the league in assisted turnover. And I didn't even know that until I was just looking it up with my son recently. So I took pride in that. And, and as a coach, my team will tell you. Nothing bothered me more than turning the ball over. Oh, I know. I know that. And, and and this is another podcast down the road, but I was always angry at the time, even though I was in New York. Like, like shoot, if if, if Juwan Howard and Chris Weber weren't still like young knuckleheads and hadn't really taken an ownership of how great they could be in their careers at that point, you know, Rod Strickland, probably Tracy Marley, like you had a nice little team there. I, remember, oh my goodness. I mean, that, so I, that, that game tell, against that series you know, against Chicago. There was a sweep, three-game sweep. I mean, you guys were in every one of those games. Well, M- Mike, think about this now, okay? So think about what front courts look like now in the NBA. Like, they're so thin. Most teams only have – they only carry a couple of big guys, right? No, nobody even plays with their back to the basket Nobody. Anymore. So think about this. On one team, we had Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Chris Webber, Jawan Howard, and George Mirasan. Hmm. That was our front court depth because everybody played two bigs at the same time. And, and, and Ben Wallace was, we didn't even know what he was. We just knew the guy got like 12 rebounds a game in the preseason and the season would start and he'd go to the bench because we had Chris Weber. And then we end up trading Ben Wallace for Isaac Austin and Ben Wallace turns into a defensive player of the year and a hall of fame type of, you know, of player. And we didn't even know what we had. He was riding the bench for us. That's how deep, our front court wow. was. Rip Hamilton was there. And, was yeah, Hamil- and we had we had we had Robert Pack at one point. He oh. was having a career year and uh Brent Price, myself, Calbert Cheney. We yeah, oh. we, we had something special going on and unfortunately they made a couple of pretty questionable trades, getting rid of Weber, getting rid of Rasheed Wallace after his rookie year. Um, we brought in some older guards and got rid of some young big guys and, and it really mm. took a turn for the worse. They've not really recovered from that. All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, Wizards teams that were another podcast. Yeah, this has been great. Um, I, I wish you the best. I I don't have enough juice to get you a college job, but I you know me. I know everybody. So I can make a call on your behalf to actually give them your number. I can't actually hey, talk I to you. Think, up to get I you actually to think there's a couple of jobs that could be opening up in the uh, in the Washington, D.C., Northern Virginia area that I got my eye on. So if you know anybody at any schools <laughs> down there, because <laughs> uh, that, 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 that's an area that I know well and I love it there.
All right. All right, sir. Th thanks much, Tim. I really All right, Mike, you got it. it. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks again for being part of us, the Mike Y Show. Um, as always, I couldn't do this without Bruce Bernstein, Jeff Torini, and the whole Pure Hoops media crew. We'll see you next week on the Mike Wise Show, formerly the Wise-Ass Show. The Mike Wise Show used to be called the Wise-Ass Show, but it remains a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.